you join me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Growing up as an elementary-aged kid, my mom was very intent on us listening to wholesome, kid-friendly music. Until we were in middle school and staged a revolt because we had finally figured out how truly uncool we were, we didn't listen to the radio when we were in the car driving around town. We listened to cassette tapes. Remember those? And after we graduated from the likes of Raffi, my mom introduced us to a collection of tapes called Salty the Singing Songbook. I dare you to Google that after worship. Salty was a blue, life-sized cartoon salter, a singing songbook. And as you listened to the tapes, you were taken on adventures to learn about God and how to sing praise to God, and most of the songs were based on the Psalms. Did I mention I was uncool? Looking back on it, my mom wins all the points for subversive Christian education because these songs, as annoying as they were, were earworms, those songs that get stuck in your head that you find yourself singing three days or three weeks or 30 years later. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Psalm 100. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Salty, summer camp, Psalm 119. As the deer panteth for the waters, O my soul longeth after me. Psalm 42. Salty even sang a version of Hinematov, Psalm 133 in Hebrew, which I will spare you singing for fear of total embarrassment in front of our guest cantor this morning. But the fact that these songs got stuck in your head, I believe, was the point. Salty, the singing songbook, tried in a kid-friendly way to teach us what it is to praise God. And while it took some theological liberties in some of the stories, when Salty came to sing the Psalms, he was faithful to the text. They didn't need modernizing or adjusting. The Psalms are, after all, a kind of hymnal for the ages, and the Psalms' lyrics stand the test of time. We've spent the past weeks this summer talking about different kinds of psalms and the variety of ways that we can read and pray the psalms. Psalms give us space for all kinds of expression, from lament to prayers of wisdom, from confession to prayers of help. Psalms help us to name our deepest fears and our highest joys. The texts of each of the psalms give us words for prayer when we don't know how to pray and words to sing that allow us to join our voices with those across the generations. We find the Psalms in the middle of our Bible, 
our sacred text. But the Psalms were first and foremost a prayer book, a hymnal of sorts. And most of the Psalms, especially those of praise, were designed to be sung because above all else, they set us free to praise and worship God. Historically, we Presbyterians are not known for our free expressions of praise. They don't call us frozen chosen for nothing. We're not accustomed to clapping in church or raising our hands in the air. You'll rarely hear an amen during the sermon. We would much prefer to think of our acts of service as forms of praise when we're asked to use our bodies. Don't force us into anything overly emotive, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and dance today. But, if I, but I know that even we frozen chosen have a praiseworthy streak in us somewhere, because the thing that many of you named missing the most when we were separated from one another during the pandemic was the chance to sing together. We were made with the ability to pray for praise embedded in our very being. Praise is the way that we acknowledge the source of all that is and place ourselves in a grateful relationship with God. As the pandemic continues to test our patience and our will, perhaps praise feels like the thing that we shouldn't be compelled to do right now. Psalms of lament, psalms of rage, prayers that give voice to our frustration and our need for protection come a lot more naturally to us these days. Given everything that's going on in the world, given the pains and injustices we witness in the news and the stress that we carry in our shoulders, why should we turn to these songs of praise right now? What room is there for praise when it feels like the world is falling apart at the seams? A number of years ago, I was leading a mission trip with a group of college students to Haiti. Most of you know that Haiti is a, a two-thirds world country, one of the poorest in the world. Political instability is common. And we were traveling on the heels of the 2010 earthquake that had devastated what existing infrastructure they had. Anyone looking in from the outside or looking at a data sheet about Haiti would expect a country full of despair, hopelessness, and fear. To think that there is any reason to praise God in Haiti would shock most of us. And yet when you visit, what seeps out of the people there is joy. Where we might cry, they praise. One day during our trip, we went to an orphanage for children with physical and mental disabilities. Many of the kids were nonverbal, some were in wheelchairs. Most of them were there because they had been abandoned by their parents who believed that any kind of physical or mental deformity was a sign of an evil spirit. Our job for the day was simply to be with the children, to show them love, to be an extra set of hands to help care for them. And so we helped them with their meals and we played games and we prayed together. In our American eyes, we were there to serve them. We were supposed to be the ones with something to give. But as we gathered in the dining room before lunch, 
our host Renee said, who would like to pray for the meal? And my able-bodied, college-educated students looked right at their toes, hoping not to be picked. But the hands of several of the kids shot up, and Renee called on three of them. The first kid took his hands up from the sides of his wheelchair, raised them high up in the air, and clapped. And Renee said, Amen. The next child spent a long time making sure that everyone could hold hands, and he bowed his head, and then we waited for an uncomfortably long amount of time, though the kids at the orphanage were in no way bothered by this. And finally he said, thank you, God, for everything. And Renee said, amen. And the last girl, after all that waiting, had been waiting so long that she was just about to burst, and she immediately broke out into song in Creole and sang the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And Renee looked at her and said, amen. The joy, the gratitude, the praise simply poured out of them despite their circumstances. And that night, we were sitting on the roof of the guest house where we were staying to escape the heat and to debrief the day. Below us, you could hear the sound of drumming and singing into the night, and it sounded like a ruckus party. And the head of the guest house said quite casually, oh, that's just a funeral for somebody down the road. Praise for every little blessing. Food, friends, life itself literally filled the air in Haiti day and night. And one of my students look, looked at the group and he said, you know, I came on this trip to serve God and to help those in need. But for all that I thought I had to give, Haitians know a lot more about praising God than I do. I don't praise God for waking up in the morning. I take that for granted. I assume that's a part of my day. I arrived and saw kids in a desperate situation with disabilities. I saw pain and suffering, but they don't see themselves that way. They see themselves as blessed by God, and they don't miss an opportunity for praise. They've taught me a measure of what joy and praise is all about. Ultimately, we are all creatures made for praise, regardless of our place or ability, our circumstances, trials, or blessings. Every single one of us is capable of praising God. John Bell, the Scottish hymn writer and member of the Iona community, makes this case for praise through song. He argues that there are a lot of reasons in the world to sing, to create identity, to express emotion, to tell stories, to shape the future. But above all of the reasons that we are called to sing praise to God is this one, because we can. The act of praise, of returning glory and honor and joy to God through song, he argues, is a natural activity peculiarly suited for humans. He says, for while birds improvise lines and donkeys bray and hyenas laugh, only humans have the ability to allay melody and produce songs for a whole community to sing together. 
Amidst this hymnal in our Bible, the psalms of praise serve as a constant reminder to praise. Most of the praise psalms point out how we should praise God. Psalm 150 calls us to use harp and lyre, tambourine and dance, so that everything that has breath may praise the Lord. Psalm 100 calls us to make a joyful noise. But Psalm 146 not only tells us how to praise, but where to direct our praise. For all of us wondering why we should praise God, Psalm 146 reminds us of who God is. The Lord sets the prisoner free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those that are bowed down, loves the righteous, watches over strangers and orphans and widows. The psalmist calls us to sing praises not just because we can, but because it's a way to be connected to a God who pours out justice and love and compassion. As my college students learned in Haiti, the children at the orphanage were grateful for our presence, yes, but there was not a single moment that they were confused about where to direct their thanks and praise. Volunteers would come and go, but God is the one who upholds the orphan and the one to whom they sing. God's liberating, healing, caring acts call us to respond. And our response comes in many forms. Yes, we are called to serve the orphan and the widow. We're called to do acts of justice and mercy. We're called to serve as Christ serves, and each of those can be an embodied form of praise. But at the end of the day, when all of our labors are done, all that God wants from us in the end is to sing. A little closer to home, The pews at a church across town were filling for a special evening concert. This particular congregation was accustomed to hosting top vocalists, and their Sunday morning worship was complete with a full choir and a bellowing organ, much like our own. But on this particular night, they were hosting the Voices of Hope, the women's choir from Lee Arundel Women's Prison in North Georgia. We watched as the women who were used to nothing but their tan prison uniforms walk out in white choir robes with matching purple stoles, and they lined up on the steps in front of their director, Susan Bishop. Many of these women were behind bars for serious acts of violence. Each of them had a difficult story. Many of them had been holding on to anger and unaddressed trauma for a long time. But their pianist started playing, and they began to step side to side. And immediately, the pain and the wounds that they wore on their face shifted. Some of the women even began to smile. And in beautiful harmony, these women's voices began to sing a classic gospel tune. They sang, You are the source of my strength. You are the strength of my life. I lift my hands in total praise to you. 
And as they sang this series of amens that swelled from the lowest notes up to the rafters, a room full of white folk, mostly Presbyterian, swelled with applause and joined in their amens. They had invited us into an expression of total praise. For these women, the ability to sing, the chance to participate in the women's choir at the prison was freedom. There are lots of reasons that women choose to sing in the choir. Most of them join the choir as a chance to get out of their cell. But they stay because they discover that to praise God is to be set free, just like the psalmist promises. Chaplain Bishop, much like Salty the Singing Songbook, allows singing the psalms to be a way that they remember the God who made them good, the God who forgives them, who is the source of their strength and who wants nothing more from them than total praise. So perhaps this week you will find yourself with one of Salty's catching and uber cool songs stuck in your head. Or perhaps you'll go home singing one of the hymns from today. But whatever it is, I hope that you find ways to praise God with your body and with your voice, not because you have to, but because we can. All praise be to God, our holy choir director. Amen. <laughs>